0: Happy New Year to everybody. Very well done. Thank you. It's great to be together after um, a couple of weeks out. Um, And so it's a real privilege um, just to come and gather and get the opportunity to to preach to you this morning. Just for those of you who might be new here, um, my name is Al. I'm one of the elders at Gateway. Um, I lead our other site over in the east of town uh, at Dorkin Academy. Um, So if you're new, you may see me every now and again as I just have the privilege of coming over um, and preaching. I hope that you all had a great Christmas um, and time with family, friends. And this is something I've just been wondering about over the past few weeks, which is how many people actually get socks for Christmas? I tried to look it up on Google this morning, but I couldn't find out. So can you just do, do a survey just to satisfy my itch? How many people got socks for Christmas? Oh, wowzers. Probably about 50%, I reckon. I shall see in the East whether it's the same, and I'll report back. We can see how diverse the congregations are. I'm really excited this morning to um, to just to to, to be able to launch um, the new year and to preach as we take stock again. We are really carrying on our series on the Sermon um, on the Mount, which is this block of teaching that that Jesus gave us recorded in Matthew 5 through to Matthew 7. But for the next few weeks, we are landing in the Lord's Prayer. What a great way to start the new year by looking at the subject and the topic of prayer, and in particular, how Jesus taught and modelled us, to us how to pray. So we're going to be camping in Matthew 6 over the next four or five weeks, really getting hold of this topic of prayer, what it looks like. And I'm so excited about this, because I really have a passion and a belief that God wants to grip us with prayer in these days. Can I get an amen to that? I really believe that God wants to, to turn the heat up on our prayer lives and increase zeal and passion for prayer, increase confidence as we come towards our heavenly father who loves us and who knows what we need and who loves to bless us, and also to understand increasingly our authority as we pray. We don't come as beggars to God. We come as sons and daughters and heirs of his kingdom, we've been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. So when we pray, we pray with authority. And I, I know that I've personally got a lot to learn on that. I really feel like this year it's the number one thing I want to grow in faith on, is how do I understand better my authority in Christ? And what does that look like as I come to him and as I pray and as I seek His kingdom and as I pray to him, what does it look like to have authority in prayer? And I really believe that God wants to grip us on this issue and this topic of prayer both privately in our own lives, but also corporately as a body, that we would become increasingly known as a church that prays. We had an Elders Day on Friday, and one of the things we were just looking at was the next kind of 18 months and beyond of Gateway, and the first thing that we talked about was prayer must be at the forefront. Prayer must be at the forefront of all we do. So... With that in mind, I'm also really excited that we're starting the year with a week of prayer in the term guide that hopefully you've all got. There's a whole load of details about a week of prayer starting next Sunday, the 14th in the evening, running for seven days. There's loads of space and opportunities to pray both morning and in the evenings. We're meeting every, every night at different locations. I would love to ask you to commit to coming and gathering to pray as much as you are able um, through that week and just to say, hey, we're going to gather as God's people and we're going to seek him for his kingdom. In all sorts of different ways. We're going to pray for one another. We're going to pray for this church. We're going to pray for this town. We're going to pray for nations of the world. So please do check out that brochure and say, hey, I'm going to commit to being um, to pray. One of the things I'm really excited about is we're going to have a kids prayer meeting on Saturday afternoon, Saturday the 20th. We're going to gather all of our primary school children. So if you're a parent of a primary school child, this is for you. We're going to gather for an hour and we're going to teach our children how to pray. And I believe that God wants to turn the heat up on our children, and, and we're expecting a move of God amongst our children. We had a prophetic word from Steve Oliver, um, who, who leads our network of churches back in March, and says, I believe there is going to be a move of God amongst the under-10s in this church. And I believe that in my heart, utterly, I believe it in my heart. And I, wanna, I want that to be a first step, if you like, of becoming the kind of community that teaches our children how to pray and come before God. So if you're a parent of a 4 to 11-year-old in primary school, flag that, come along to that. It will be a great um, time together, I'm sure. Right, so today we are looking at Matthew 6, verse 5 to 13, um, which hopefully is going to come up on the screen. It is, because I haven't got it on my piece of paper. Which is Jesus talking. He says this, and when you pray. What a great way to start. The default assumption of Jesus is that people in his kingdom are those that pray. It's not an if statement. It's not a by the way. When you pray, follower of Jesus. When you pray. And I I know that there'll be people here this morning who who maybe you're new to faith and you you say, I don't really understand what prayer even is. I pray that through these weeks as we look at the Lord's Prayer, as we gather for a week of prayer, you would grow an understanding of what does it look like to pray. There, There will be some of you here this morning who have given up on prayer. Maybe you used to pray regularly, but you think, hey, prayer's just I've given up on that. I pray that God would reignite your passion and your zeal for prayer. And there may be others of you who are just saying, I don't understand my authority. And like I said earlier, I want to pray that God would grow us in understanding our authority in Christ. This is a when statement. And so I want us to get hold of this and be people that say, when we pray, when we pray, when Gateway prays, when when the body of God's believers pray. But then Jesus gives us these things. Do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And then we begin again. And when you pray... Do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This is then how you should pray. Can we read this together, Gateway? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts. As we have also forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Amen. That was really—that was good vigour and conviction in that. Thank you, guys. Well done. I was thinking it just could could fall a bit flat. Anyway, Jesus here teaches us how to pray, doesn't he? In verses nine to thirteen, but he sets it against the context of some things that we're to avoid when we're coming. In to pray. He says, when you pray, there's two things I just want to flag up to you, which are really about an issue of the heart and an issue of motivation. And Jesus particularly picks up on two things, which were, which were issues of the day, issues of culture around them. The first one is this, praying to be noticed by others. You see, Jesus says, when you pray, don't stand on street corners or in the synagogues shouting really loudly so that you impress other people. At the time, pious Jews would have stood at the allotted time to pray on street corners, in the corners, and loudly declare, say, look, I'm praying, drawing attention unto themselves. The point of prayer isn't to draw attention to ourselves. The point of, the point of prayer is to, is to intercede, is to pray towards our heavenly Father and to make much of him and to give him much glory and to make our requests and our petitions known to him. And the second thing that Jesus is wanting to avoid, he picks up on here particularly, is heaping up empty phrases or babbling on like the pagans. And again, at that time, pagans, those are other religions, would often chant the name of, names of their gods mindlessly and repetitively, like mechanical repetition, like just this same thing over and over again. It was like a mindless activity. If you go to 1 Kings 18 and you read about the, the, the confrontation that the prophet Elijah has on Mount Carmel when, he, when he's having a confrontation with the prophets of Baal, the prophets of Baal just say the same thing over and over again. They're like chanting the names of their God over and over again. And then Elijah comes and declares his authority as the son of the living God. And you see the fire coming. So read 1 Kings 18, you'll see the kind of pagans and how they approach their gods with the little G. And so Jesus is saying, don't be like that. But the thing is, Jesus is clearly not against public prayer. Jesus prayed publicly. The early church prayed publicly. Churches throughout history have prayed publicly. It would be ridiculous to say that from now on we are never going to gather to pray publicly. If we were, we wouldn't be having a week of prayer. But Jesus is also pointing to the importance and the value of prayer in the private space. As we gather to pray as God's people, it should be an overflow of what we know to be true in the private place. With us and God. As we gather, it's, a, it's, it's like we harness and we understand prayer in the private place and that overflows into our public and corporate gathered prayer lives. John Piper puts it like this. He says, to leave people and find a private place where you won't be heard by others takes some effort. I think that's very true, isn't it? Jesus says, this is good. Do this. Be sure to make that part of your praying the pr- private prayer where it's just you and God. Take whatever steps necessary to secure this kind of praying in your life. So Jesus isn't against public prayer, but he says, hey, prayer in the private space with just you and me, son and daughter of the living God, is key. And that's how I want you to pray like that. And secondly, Jesus is also not against long and repeated praying. Psalm 136 contains the same phrase, his love endures forever, 26 times in 26 verses. Jesus prayed all night. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, says this, Jesus went away again and prayed the same words. Again, there is nothing wrong with praying for long periods of time. There's nothing wrong with persisting in prayer. In fact, Jesus loves persistence in prayer. And it's often key to unlocking things in the kingdom as we come to God and we're persistent and we persevere in prayer. So what's he saying here? It's an issue of motivation and it's an issue of the heart. If you read... Um, verses 1 to 4 of chapter 6, it talks about giving to the needy. If you then read past the end of the Lord's Prayer, it talks about fasting. And both of those topics we've already picked up on. It's an issue of the heart, and it's an issue of motivation. Do you pray to impress others? Do you pray to try and earn God's favor or earn his attention? Do you pray without really just engaging your mind? Is is your prayer life just the same repeated prayer at night without, without any thinking, without any engagement with God? Lord, give me a good night's sleep. Amen. And there's no level of engagement with God and who he is and of his majesty and his wonder. Jesus says, don't pray with those kind of motives. Don't pray like that. You see, long prayers to try and get God's attention or to earn his favor or to inform him of what's going on, are futile because verse 8 says he knows what we need before we even ask. We don't have to shout loudly to get God's attention. I'm not against going for it in prayer, by the way. We don't have to shout loudly. We don't have to perform empty rituals to come before God because he hears the cries of our hearts and he never sleeps and he never slumbers. And it's against this backdrop of pride in prayer of the Jews and mindless repetition of the pagans at the time, that, that Jesus teaches us the Lord's Prayer. And what Jesus wants to teach us through the Lord's Prayer is that our prayer life is motivated from a position of being sons and daughters in his household and those who are known by God and as an overflow of love for him and for his kingdom. He says, I, I want to teach you how to pray as those who know they are sons and daughters of the living God. And we're going to preach through the Lord's Prayer, verse by verse, line by line, over the next few weeks. And today, what I want to focus on is the first line of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What Jesus is doing through this prayer is he's modeling to us what prayer in the kingdom looks like. He sets the pattern for us. He sets the foundation for us. He says these are the building blocks of what prayer looks like. That is powerful, vibrant, and effective And the first of these building blocks is this, know who your father is and know who you are in him. Know that he is indeed our father, but that he's in heaven, reigning and ruling and majestic and in splendor and awe, that he's holy above all else. So we're going to focus it this morning really on two things. One, our adoption as sons and daughters in his household, that he is indeed our father. And secondly, the majesty and splendour of God. We're going to set these. We're going to, set, we're going to look at this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. From these two perspectives. When I was um, away uh, for Christmas, is there a photograph of on the slide? This was uh, where I got the privilege of going to. This is not far from where I grew up uh, in Cornwall. We were visiting friends and family over the Christmas period, and. And one morning, I just got the opportunity, the rare opportunity, to go for a walk by myself without Sarah and the kids. It was about half eight in the morning. I just went down to the beach, and I just stood there, and I was utterly in awe of God. I had this quite profound encounter with God. I looked out, and I saw these wonderful rolling waves coming in. I saw the clouds overhead that were going quite fast. I saw these wonderful, majestic cliffs behind me that were about 100 feet. I saw these grains of sand, and I stood there, and I thought, God, you made every single thing that I can see with my eyes. You are incredible. You are awesome. You are amazing. You are wonderful. At his command, those cliffs formed from the sea. At his word, the Bible says, all things are sustained and held. He sustains the world by the word of his power. And I just had this wonderful moment that all of this is created and sustained by him. As I stood there, just looking out, just me. There was no one else on the beach at that time of the morning. That I worship a God who is awesome and who is majestic and who is our creator and our sustainer. But I also realized that this same God is my father that he's adopted me, that he's redeemed me, that he's rescued me, that he's chosen me, and that he loves me. This same God, who at his very word, as he spoke, cliffs formed out of the sea, says to me, Al, I love you. You're my son. I've adopted you and chosen you. What a wonderful understanding. I believe that is what Jesus is trying to teach us when he says, the first line of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, that we would know that we're sons and daughters of a Father who is reigning and ruling and holy and majestic. That is the bedrock of the Christian life. And it's the bedrock of prayer life that we know who we are coming to and that we know who he is. And the danger is with these sort of things, we can become very, very over-familiar As we read scriptures, like Ephesians 1, it says, In him, you've been adopted into his family. In him, you've been sealed with the promise of the Spirit. In him, you've received an inheritance. And we can hear them. We can go, yeah, yeah, I know those things. But it doesn't really come alive in our hearts. And I want to pray that even as I go through some of this thing this morning, there will become a fresh kind of sense of it's coming alive in my heart, that I would really know God as my Father in a deeper way. There'll be a deeper revelation of his love for me, but also a deeper revelation of his majesty and of his wonder. Jesus is modeling prayer in the kingdom, and he says the starting position is this. Do you know God is your father? In all honesty, in your innermost person, have you settled this? Have you settled this in your heart that God is your father? Because the rest of the prayer that Jesus teaches us, the rest of the Christian life flows from this place of understanding. We can't pray your will be done. We can't pray, give us today our daily bread with confidence and assurance unless we can settle deeply in our innermost person that God's our Father and that we've been adopted and that we're secure in him. Martin Luther, who's the famous reformer, he once said this. He said, I have difficulty praying the Lord's Prayer because whenever I say our Father, I think of my own Father who was hard, unyielding, and relentless. I cannot help but think of God that way. And that may be true of some of you today. Maybe you've grown up with fathers that were like Martin Luther, who hard, unyielding, and relentless. And you go, I can't help but think of God that way. I would love to pray for you this morning, if that's you, that there'll be a sense of you'd understand and you have a revelation that your heavenly father is not like your earthly father, There'll be something that God does in you. We'll pray for you later. I'd love to lay hold of you before God and say, God, would you utterly help people understand who their father is? If that was true and that affects how you view your heavenly father because of your experience of your earthly father, I would love to pray with you this morning. And for many of us, even if you've experienced the love of an earthly father, which is true of me, I have a father who loves me dearly. I know that. I still find it hard To accept and really grasp the reality of being a son or daughter. I still find it hard. I still, I still default to to other ways of thinking because I believe as I get hold of this truth, it would radically shift how I prayed. If I really understood in the depths of my soul who God is as my father, I think it would radically alter how I came to God and my confidence as I came toward him. Knowing that I'm and I feel like I'm on a journey of understanding this, like I said earlier. Because the Apostle Paul writes this in Galatians 4. He says, But when the set time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Another translation says that you receive full rights as a son. Full rights. Full legal standing before God. Fully adopted, entering into his household. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls our Abba Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Do you hear the staggering truth? And do you grasp the staggering truth that's in here that we have received you're in his kingdom, you have received full rights as sons and daughters of the living God. That you've been adopted into his household, that you are sons and daughters, secure in him, sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. John Eldridge, who writes a really fantastic book, I recommend this. It's called Moving Mountains by. By John Eldridge. so about praying with passion, confidence, and authority. It is a fantastic book on prayer and understanding who we are. And he, he's, he writes this. He writes a great chapter around God and his nature and who we are. And he says the reality is we can tend to pray like orphans or slaves rather than children of God. And he writes this. I think it'll come up on the screen as well. He says, a slave feels reluctant to pray. They feel they have no right to ask And so their prayers are modest and respectful. They spend more time asking for forgiveness than they do praying for abundance. They view their relationship to God more with fear, but not with tenderness of love. There is no intimacy in the language of their feelings. Unworthiness colors their view of prayer. An orphan is not reluctant to pray. They feel desperate. But their prayers are more like begging than anything else. Orphans feel a great divide between themselves and the God they are praying to. They ask for scraps. They expect scraps. But not sons and daughters. We don't pray like that. We don't pray with feelings of unworthiness. We don't pray only asking for forgiveness. Although we come to God and we, uh, we see the Lord's Prayer, we ask for his forgiveness. We don't view our relationship to God with fear. That's not sons and daughters' We don't have to come to God begging because he knows what we need before we ask. We know our Heavenly Father is cheering us on, that we have the approval of heaven. And the reality is this is a key battleground for any follower of Jesus Christ. The more and more I have the privilege of of undertaking pastoral ministry and walking life's journey of people and for my own journey the more I realise the root cause of a loss of what's going on is actually a question of identity and am I secure in God? And this is a battleground because the enemy we have an enemy as Colin said earlier and he loves to come in and go right to the core of the issue and say yeah but God can't really love you like you are and he really this is a, such a key battleground for us as followers of Jesus because we have an enemy who loves to rob us of our identity in Christ Jesus more Than anything. The enemy loves to have a field day making us think like slaves or orphans, not like sons and daughters of the living God. And we need to fight the good fight in this area as followers of Jesus together, knowing that this is a battle that's not just one person faces, but all of us together, that we get the privilege together of saying, hey, we're going to fight the good fight together as God's people. We're going to do this together. We're going to go to one another and say, hey, I'm going to to help you. I'm going to stand with you in prayer that you would truly understand your adoption into his household. So ask others to stand with you. If if you know there are things you're battling with around identity, ask others to stand with you. Say, hey, I'm weak in this area. Would you come alongside me? So this is the first thing. We know God as our father. And that's how we approach him. Yet we don't come to him casually. We remember who he is. We know that he's our father, but we know he's in heaven and that he's holy. He is not like us. It's quite common when you hear people talking about the word father in the Lord's Prayer because of the word, the Aramaic that Jesus is using here, to translate it as daddy or papa or dada, which I kind of get, and I get the sentiment behind it. But I think it can be very misleading, and it can run the risk of losing a sense of awe and wonder of our God. God, and by that I mean a Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Spirit, is the creator and sustainer of the universe. Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. You think about the stars in the sky and the moon and the sun, and the Bible says Jesus upholds it with the word of his power, with his words. Paul writes to the church in Colossae and says that Jesus holds all things together, that all things are made by him and through him. Not only is he creator and sustainer, he's reigning at all times and in all places. He's holy and majestic. The psalmist puts it like this in Psalm 95. It says, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving, And extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God. The great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. And the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his. For he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship, let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. The reality is we could preach on the glory of God for the rest of our days and we would never truly get to the bottom of it. We could stand here and we could preach for days on end on the majesty of our God and we would never fully unpack it all. We never fully unpack the splendor and the wonder of him. And I just want to ask, I just want to challenge, do you have that view of God, that he is awesome and that he's wonderful and that he's majestic? Francis Chan says this, he says, isn't it a comfort to know that we worship a God who can never be exaggerated. Absolutely. I just thought it was a wonderful way of putting it. Isn't it a comfort to know that we worship a God that can never be exaggerated? We can never overstate his marvel, His marvelous deeds. We can never overstate his wonder. We can never overstate how splen- how splendidful That's not even a word. <laughs> I'm just going to make up words now to describe God. <laughs> just keep on going. And it chip, chip in. I feel like I'm just getting flowing there. Last night, one of the things I'm trying to do um, in the new year is um, be more intentional about spending time with my kids, kind of praying and studying the Bible together. And so, what we said is that every Saturday evening, just for kind of half an hour, 40 minutes, we're just going to have some family time of, of just looking at the Bible and praying together. And last night was the first time that we did it. And I decided just to go right back to the beginning. We were looking at creation, we were talking about the moon and the stars, we went to try and find the moon, but we couldn't find it. And just at the end, I. I put on the indescribable video by Chris Tomlin, which talks about the wonder and the glory of God. And we sat there, me and the kids were just lying down in the dark. I had this on the, on the iPad. And it was just as I, was, as I was listening to the kids, they were just singing, you are amazing, God. Just kept, every time the line came up, you are amazing, God. And I sat there. I was just like, God, you are amazing. You are amazing. Do You feel and know the awesomeness of God. See, when people in the Bible encountered God, they left with a sense of awe and wonder. Think of Moses at the burning bush. Think of Isaiah when he sees God and he says, woe is me for I am of unclean lips. Think of John the Apostle in Revelation 1 when he sees Jesus and he says, I fell at his feet as though dead. Just wonder if I could just invite you to stand. Just under the band, could just come back up again. I just, I pray that as we go through the Lord's Prayer over these coming weeks, that we would have a deeper revelation of the awesome, magnificent nature of our God. But also, we would have a deep revelation of our sonship and our daughtership and our adoption into his family. I just want to go back into a time of worship. I just encourage you just, maybe you just want to close your eyes, put your hands up before the Lord, feel free to stand, sit, kneel, lie down, whatever. It's just be before God. The holiness of God is here. His spirit is here, just revealing the nature of the Father again to us. Just as we come, we're just going to come back into a time of worship and singing, because what better way is there to express ourselves before God than just the singing of his praises? May we never lose sight of the splendor of God. I just want to encourage you, just, just start to, let's start to pray out together. Just, on, let's just start to cry out, start to declare the greatness of our God, ones and twos. Just, let's do this together, let's just start to raise our voices together and say, God, you're so magnificent and you're so wonderful, we can never unpack fully the glory of God. Let's start this year with the posture of our hearts being faced towards a holy and wonderful God who says, you're my son, you're my daughter.